so heckling will definitely live in infamy and I'm glad you say that Ellie because I just want to start like I did last week with I'm not here representing a halachic perspective I'm not here quoting 100% perfectly everything that I'm going to talk about I am not a uh, smicha given rav although Shui keeps on trying to make me one every Shabbos but I'm not I'm just here to share bitachin from my perspective my understanding and from what I've learned in the Sefer so I'm definitely going to misquote. I'm definitely going to misexplain certain things, but it's coming from my heart. And my objective is simple. If I can inspire you to delve deeper in your own time and find a, you know, a deeper connection to it, and very, very selfishly, it helps me tremendously, um, then I've accomplished my objective. So that's first of all. And I'm going to do this every week, this disclaimer, because I mean it. So... For a long time I was asked to do something like this and for a long time I didn't want to do something like this. And for reasons of my own life, I decided that the time was now because I needed to boost my own betachen. After many, many years of working on it constantly, I still felt that I needed to get something going. And I obviously, with what happened these last couple of days over Yom Tif, I mean, this is like got to be the ultimate test of betachen that what's that? A fan or what? Not bother me. What's up? Make yourself at home. So, this is like the ultimate test of betachen, and I spent probably since um, I guess yesterday, yomtif already, knowing that I would be giving a class tonight. How exactly am I supposed to talk about betachen when when we're dealing with what we're dealing with? And what am I supposed to say? And obviously I was laughing at God's wonderful sense of humor because we ended off, you know, talking about some, you know, we, we quoted some different letters and we quoted some different things and we, we had some good questions about why bad things happen to good people and we were able to talk about it from a business perspective and we were able to talk about it from a I mean, serious perspective that, that matter that we all spend time, you know, uh, sweating about, maybe some more than others. Um, I, you know, I have a, a child with special needs so I talked about that. Uh, as, a, as an example of, of where I uh, struggle. But when you're dealing with this kind of magnitude of suffering, where does Betachem fall into it? And I can't remember the exact place I read it, but it was definitely something that I read. And it sounds like the Rebbe, but then it doesn't sound like the Rebbe. So I don't know where I, I got it from. But over my years of learning about Betachem and trying, getting attracted to whatever I see that's on the topic... There's definitely a point that when somebody's deep in suffering, you don't walk over to him, throw a chayvus havavis to his face and say, stop crying, go work on your betachem. There is no space for that. There's no place for that. Empathy and sympathy is paramount. So there's also, you know, what we're... What's that? It's in Pirkei Okay, so there you go. What is it saying Pirkei Don't appease someone who's angry. Don't comfort him. So there you go. So thank you, Avi. So that's where it came from, I guess. And there is a concept that what we're talking about here, and you know, I don't know if anybody here is directly, directly affected by any of the, the, the death that has happened outside as a community, but obviously I'm not speaking to those that are in, the, you know, in that space right now. But at the same token, there's definitely an Indian, there's definitely a point in bolstering our bitachen when faced with tragedies like this. I've always imagined prior to this, this weekend, like in the, in the Holocaust, 
like where, the, the people that had really, really strong betachen, how do they deal with the Holocaust? Um, and there's a, there is a sefer that I have that's translated. Maybe someone remembers the name. There was a, he was a, a Hasidic rabbi that was in the Warsaw Ghetto. And he had written all of his speeches down over the three or four year period that he was there. And they found it after he was killed. And it's, it's all his, uh, his, it's his weekly part, like um, it's, uh, and it's, it's, I forgot which, uh, which, yeah, exactly. And it's, it, and you read it and in the beginning, he's talking about how betachen and betachen, as the years go by, his speeches become less betacheny and more, you know, not giving up, but just, it's already, it's already beyond that. And, you know, I, I don't have any good answers. Absolutely not. But I do know that there's definitely a point to strengthen our betachen as a community because what I do know from my personal experience and from what I've been taught over the years is that when you're at a situation like this and it's precisely because of situations like these that you have to bolster it because that's what makes us survive. And that's what the, the enemies of the Jews never understand is whether it's Hamas today or it was, you know, the uh, PLO and Yasser Arafat 30 years ago, or it was the Holocaust, or it was the pogroms, or it was the, and the Inquisition. Going back, we all know the history. They always try to break us. Every single time they try to break us. And in the world of one plus one equals two, we should be broken. You should be putting your hands up right now and, and just giving up. You should be quitting on God. You should be quitting on any belief that there's any justice to be served, that anything is based on anything but, you know, survival of the fittest, because this is a, a, a perfect example of how eat or get eaten. And Jews forever, whenever faced with this situation, not only do we not give up in, uh, with our arms up, but we, we fight back physically with whatever we can, but we also fight back spiritually. I mean, there's the campaigns like doing mitzvahs and tefillin. We all know about them. You know, people here are involved with that today. But there's also about bolstering your absolute faith in God, notwithstanding the fact that there's no reason to do so today. If anything, we should all be very, very, very angry. And the last thing we should be doing tonight is learning about betachem. Maybe we should be watching a good movie or just be getting drunk or getting high or just getting pissed off at somebody. Or maybe we should go to our local mosque and just you know, blow it up. And why not? Let's take revenge. God forbid, obviously. But the point is, is that instead of going there, we automatically go to bolstering, to, you know, where can we find meaning, how can we strengthen ourselves, and that is, in my opinion, what is what gives us survival in the mega, world-changing events that happen as a community, as a world, i.e. today, and the, you know, the macro and the micro, and in your own life, and in my own life, and the little things we're dealing with, little... You know, when there's no one around, those can feel just as, uh, as, as, as life-altering slash ending, um, God forbid, as that as well. And do we add a cheers? One second. Okay, so that being said, um, I do want to share two stories that are, are, you know, I listened to a bunch of thoughts today trying to, Look to those who are smarter than I is how you're supposed to give a class on Betachen today. You know, and you yourself are, are, are wavering on the topic. And I was, in listening to everything, I heard like probably the absolute most worst, worst advice ever possible from Gedole Yisrael about what Betachen, and they were talking about Betachen and what it means 
and how it doesn't mean that it's all going to be good and just have Hashem does everything for the best and like just totally dropping the dime on the concept of Betachem. So I thought of two stories that one I heard from my father, you may have heard it from Shui or you may have heard it elsewhere and another one is what happened to me that I think just gives a personal twist and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into, into learning because last week we did not get much into it. So the first is, is, you know, I heard a lot today about uh, there was disunity because of social, you know, the reform justices, and this is the exact opposite, and disunity, you know, this is what Nebuch we have to, has to happen in Israel to make unity happen, and that not 100% is the reason, but you can see the drastic, you know, uh, difference, and if they, only we would find ways to work together in peaceful times, I'm not far from a Navi, that doesn't sit right with me. But there's no question then when it comes to being unified, you can't lose. Um, and one example was about David HaMelech and Ahav, that David HaMelech was king, and he's David HaMelech, we all know who David HaMelech was, and he lost a number of wars and lost troops. But Ahav, I think it was Ahav, who was a terrible king in Tanakh, he never lost troops. And he was like, uh, the guy was a bandit. Why? Because David HaMelech in his camp, there wasn't always unity. But in Ahav's camp, there was unity. So because they were together, even though the guy stood on evil, he actually never lost troops or wars or something or, or combination thereof. So the story goes of a guy who's dying in bed and he brings his kids over and he asks his kids to please bring over the pile of twigs that are sitting by the fireplace. So the kids bring over the pile of twigs and there's twine around the twigs and the father proceeds to ask each child to break the twine of twigs, you know, the, the coupling of twigs. What would be the right word for that? Bundle of twigs. I thought there was more of like a, you know, cool yeah. nature word. Tinder, okay, Tinder. Tinder, there we go. Tinder, Tinder? Kindling. Kindling, kindling, kindling. okay. So the, the, the bundle of kindling, and he passes to the older, oldest son, and the oldest son takes it on, he, on his knee, and he can't break it. Then on the knee, and he goes, he can't break it. And they pass it to each kid around the room, and no one could break the bundle of twigs. And then the old man, as he's dying, says, give me the thing. And they said, Dad, well, you're dying. What, what possibly can you... He's like, just give me the thing. He unties the, the, the bundle, and then he just breaks twig by twig by twig by twig. So there's no question that coming together in unity, whether it's, you know, it should be only be for good things. Unfortunately, now it's, it's for a war. You definitely can't lose when we're together. So why did this happen because of that? I have no idea. It's not my business. But there's definitely a beautiful thing to see Klal Yisrael come together. The second story was my go-to story for why do bad things happen to good people. I was in New York. We moved there when my son had special needs. I shared last week a story about how he crossed the street and couldn't hear his speech by Yossi Jacobson. So Yossi Jacobson had a story. I'm going to misquote it. Maybe it wasn't his, but here's the story as I remember it. Is that there was the Kleisinger, the, the Kleisinger Rebbe, Kleisenberg Rebbe. And he was, he survived the Holocaust. And there was a time where he was wounded and he self-treated himself. And he also witnessed tremendous horrors. He lost Siddim and family. And he made a promise that if he ever survived the war, he would, would establish a medical facility that would help everybody no matter what. And they would understand that they're doing Hashem's mission. And based upon his seeing the horrors of the world, etc., so Yossi Jacobson explain, you know, says the story in the way that he, he so eloquently does, how he survives the Holocaust, it comes from the ashes, he has to rebuild his chassidim, he has to rebuild everything, 
And sure enough, he does build in Israel. I believe it's in Netanya. Maybe in, it's not Netanya, somewhere else. No, Delaniado Hospital in Netanya. And he, he, he builds this hospital. And at some point, there is a interview with him, whether it was at the grand opening or there was a wing being added or something was going on where the news media was there. And the interviewer asks him the question, you know, you survived the Holocaust, you lost family, lost Siddim, you came to Israel, you had to start from scratch, you built this hospital, I believe it's a children's hospital as well? Or, okay. It says you, you watch all this type of suffering happening all the time, I mean, this, you know, this kid gets blown up, that guy loses a hand, you know, from the war, from sickness. Don't you ever want to just go to God and ask Him, what the hell? Like, how do you, how do you make this work? So, he says he thought about the answer for a moment, and he said as following. He goes, you know, if I had a chance to go up to heaven for a meeting and sit down with God and say, God, why'd you take my family in the Holocaust? Why'd you bring the Holocaust? Why did little Timmy, who lost a leg last week, you know, from stepping on a landmine, have to lose his leg? And I'm sure if I explain, asked him all the questions, because I have no doubt that God would sit me down and say, listen, here's why I took your first wife, and here's why you lost this, and here's why that accident happened, that's why the Holocaust happened, and this is why Timmy lost his leg. And he said, you know what, I have no doubt that by the time the conversation was done, I would understand exactly why every single tragedy that occurred in my life occurred. Because, but you know what? I'd rather live here with the question. I don't want to know the answer. Because what's the answer make a difference? How is it going to change that as a human being living down here, we're not designed to suffer? So why do I say this story? Because the story kind of goes a level deeper. Is I'm sitting in Coconut Grove where I lived at for, you know, before here. And oh, wait, say further that I'm dissuaded from protesting the injustice because then at that point it's no longer if you protest, because he knows. But then why? So then why protest injustice? If ultimately you know you don't know the answer, but you know there is an answer. Are we supposed to protest injustice? Does I mean you can't do something to stop? Well, I think it's just. A, I, I think it's also a perspective. I mean, it's it's also trying to say that at the end of the day, we're gonna dig like we spoke about last time. You know, let's start by understanding that you cannot explain an infinite God to a finite person. Now let's talk about God. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's him who suffered tremendously just saying, listen, you're not, not going to figure it out, but don't, you know, and I, I don't think he was encouraging for us not to ask, but he was just saying, it is what it is. And what's, what's, what's well, the is asking, we don't is, want is asking a lack of betuffling? No. No, that's human. It's a human event. It's a human process. I mean, in my opinion, at least... So I was in Coconut Grove and there was a guy that was sitting, an older man was sitting outside of a bank. He had a, um, a, um, a casket, you know, suspenders. He looked like a Miami Beach 90-year-old man, but in Coconut Grove there's no 90-year-old man Jewish, you know, casket sitting old man on the side of the bank. There is no old men that are Jewish and from Coconut Grove that I'm aware of maybe today. So I drive by and I'm heading to the bank because... My wife was in a store and her, our card wasn't working, so I had to go put cash into the, into the ATM. And as I see this guy, and I'm like, he's totally misplaced. On the way out, if he's still there, I'll, I'll figure out what's going on. So I ask him, uh, you know, what's going on. He tells me he took one of those public service rides from Miami Beach to meet his estate lawyer who, uh, since, who has since passed away. He's the guy that actually was also Holocaust. He, he, was, a, he was a Holocaust survivor that, that, that made the hand in Miami Beach. He was... Uh, 
very famous lawyer. Anyways, he was meeting this lawyer. So he tells me, um, I was meeting him and my, my public service ride got canceled. So I told him, okay, I got a few things to do locally. If they don't pick you up in a little bit, I'll drive you back to Miami Beach. He says, great. Anyways, a half hour later, my phone rings. He's stuck. They're not picking him up. Can I get him a, give him a ride? So I call my wife. It's like 5.30, Coconut Grove to Miami Beach. It's like a two-hour drive. This is rush hour. You know, it's over. But I said, there's an old Jewish guy. I mean, how often do I have a chance to give an old Jewish guy a ride to Miami Beach in Coconut Grove? I'm going to take the guy home. The guy gets into the car and his aide, he had an aide as well, gets in the back seat and he sits next to me and his sleeve rolls up and he's got the numbers on his, his hands. So now I feel like Mama should sound the gummer. Here I am giving an old man a ride, which I <laughs> look at this, and he's a Holocaust survivor. Ha uh-huh. So now, you know, fine. So he tells me that uh, he starts telling me a story. What's his story? That he was in yeshiva in Hungary. He's a religious boy. And I believe it was Hungary that was the last place that was picked up. Yeah. Okay. No, I'll get it. Hold on. Let me just get it. So he says that he was in, in Hungary, which I think was the last place to be picked up by the, by the, by the Nazis. And essentially what happened was, is uh, they were in Yeshiva, he was a Masifta, and they came into the Zal, as he explained it to me, and they just took the Bachrim, you know, right into the, they herded him up and they put him into a train. And he says they, they had no idea what the hell was going on. He gets to Auschwitz, and he's the, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the fact that he hasn't davened chakras in X amount of days. So the first thing he does as he's being pulled off of this thing, he tells me that I looked at the, the guy, and I said, where's a pair of tefillin? I, who has a tefillin here? I can borrow for, for a few minutes. You know, the guy kicked me in the, uh, in the, you know, somewhere, and, and I killed over, and he's like, listen, there's no tefillin here. You make sure to tell them that you're 18, and that you are, you're a tailor or something. Whatever they, he told him. He said, so I, I was so startled, that, you know, and as my Masifta class came off the train, everybody went the wrong way because they were all 14 years old, 13, and didn't know what was going on. Because I said I was 18 and a tailor, and I survived the war, you know, ultimately. He's like, he starts laughing. He goes, would you believe that my commitment to putting tefillin on is what saved my life, you know, over there. Like, this is, this is my stupidity of tefillin. He's from, he, as he's telling me this, he's from, but he was laughing at me. So at the time, I was working in the Chabad house. So this is, you know, I, I, I whip out my, uh, what, why does good thing, bad things happen to good people story? You know, this is my story. So I tell him, listen, you know, we're in traffic. Let me tell you a story that I once heard from, from Yossi Jacobson. I'm not so sure it's true or not. That might be embellished. He's like, what's the story? And I tell him, oh, this guy, he was the, 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 you know, the Kleiserberger Nebbe, and he was it. But then he made a hospital, and they made an interview. I said, listen, I don't know if the story's true or not, but, I don't know, that's what I can offer you up, uh, you know, based on what you're telling me. So he looks at me, and he goes, Ivan, I don't know if the story's true. I said, yeah. Because I gave the guy his first check. what? I wrote the first check. To the hospital. To the hospital. Because when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he had nothing. I made some money from something he did. And he goes, I wrote the first check. Why am I saying that story? Because I don't know why good things happen, bad things happen to good people. I have no idea. But this was an example in, you know, just in the mess of what's going on. And there's tefillin in the story. It's, we just don't know. But what I do know is, is bolstering our emuna and betachan and Hashem certainly can't hurt. So with that being said, if you don't have a sefer, there's there. If you want to keep the safer you take, you can just give $20 to Rabbi Shui for the Chabad house. And uh, 
Otherwise, we'll dive in. There was just one thing I wanted to read is I found a letter of the Rebbe from 82. By the Lebanon summer of 82. It's, I mean, it's a summarized concept. It's nothing new to everybody here, but... You know, I think it's uh, it, it's on the topic of Betachem, so I'll just uh, read a few things that uh, is quoted here, and this is from Tyrus Menachem. But uh, he says like this: the soldiers who have been privileged to protect Jewish towns at the risk of physical self-sacrifice will no doubt continue fulfilling their duty and mission of ensuring, by natural means, the security and welfare of the Jewish people, and will no doubt maintain this activity until it's complete. And he says, there are some, and he quotes Pesukim, this is from Tanakh, some rely upon chariots and some upon horses, but we, the Jews, rely upon and invoke the name of Hashem. They do not believe that my power and that my, the might of my own have won this wealth for me. It's another Pesach. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants physical armaments to be used and action to be taken according to the laws of nature. But God will grant His help when Jews tackle their defense tax, tasks with the realization that He is the source of their strength and when they fulfill His directives. So he writes that the endeavor should be made to strengthen the soldier's connections with all aspects of Yiddishkeit, that there should be a genuine trust in Hashem Tzavais, a trust that He stands at the head of all armies, beginning with the hosts of God, God's army, and in our context, God's army is the IDF. And he talks about tefillin, how important tefillin is for the soldiers. So again, not something that we haven't seen in the last 24 hours, but just potent. So if you take the, uh, well, what we ended last week at a very uh, interesting point. This page five on the top. This is the very beginning. It's an introduction. It's the author's introduction to the concept of betachem. So a couple of things to know about the author is that he always tells you the next move. He's like the worst villain in every movie. He's going to tell you what he's about to do before he does it and tells you how he's going to do it. And he breaks it all down. And the same thing is with his introduction. He wants to kind of tell you what he intends to accomplish over the, the, coming, uh, the coming pages in the Sefer. And he also quotes a tremendous amount of psukim, of, of verses from Tanakh throughout the book, the Sefer. And there are many who say that it's easier to learn it without it. But he says later, and there's a few of the Mepharshim that say, that he doesn't do it, God forbid, to prove his point. He doesn't need to prove it because that would actually be a lack of betachin. If he has to prove it by, by sourcing verses, then is that real trust if he, need, if he needs proof? He says he does it as reminders. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself that it's a little bit of a weak reason because let's be honest, it's good, it's good, it's good sources, right? You know, go to the Torah, go to Tanakh. But what you realize is how often psukim are in davening and in our, in our benching. And, and all the big betachim psukim are everywhere constantly. And we're almost always saying it at some point during the week, if not every day. It's tremendous. And you actually start to realize as you learn the Sefer more and more and again, that it actually reminds you as you're saying, Hashem Tzavayis, Ashrei Adam B'Teyach Bach, Baruch HaGever Asher Yiftach Ba'ashem, Ha'ya Hashem Miftachai. Two simple, you know, examples. Myriv, uh, you know, and, or, uh, or, or benching. There's, Tehillim is covered in it. Davening is covered in Tehillim. You're constantly saying psukim. Entire, uh, in davening. It's non-stop. In, in, uh, in Valetzion. It's, every, it's everywhere. You're going to see it's everywhere. It's, it's in psukim. The Zimra, it's going to start coming at you because it's all over the place. 
So it's an interesting perspective as you start to, to, to see some of the times he quotes these psukim to realize that it's actually reminding you how the whole davening is busy boosting your betachem. In fact, all we do mostly in Judaism is talk about our betachem and how much we need to trust in Hashem. We start our week, end our week, start our day, end our day. It's constantly talking about having trust in God. So on top of page five, we had said last week that the, if, if somebody doesn't place his trust in Hashem, but he places it in another entity, God will remove his divine providence from that person, which is a pretty hardcore statement. Then I, we, we left uh, off at that point. What? I don't think it's like it's not a punishment. It's just you can't. It's like we say about uh, Balgaiva that it's caught. Yeah, you can't have two emotions at once. You can't be full of fear and have God. God's saying like I can't be in you if you're going to be with fear. It's a fear is an all-encompassing emotion. So He's not punishing you. It's just it's either fear or me. I think what was radical about the statement for some of us that read it for the first time was like, okay, so I'm having doubts in God, but does that mean I believe in another entity than God? Like it says, if you don't believe in God, it's like you put, you put your faith in another in another deity or some other belief system. No, but I think it's just missing out of the shkachah pratis. It's using the divine power. Well, he, he, so so shkachah pratis has two levels, and it says in the notes, and we'll talk about it again. Is that there's the revealed shkachah pratis, and then there's the 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 you know it's hidden from you. So if you put your betachin in Hashem, you'll see how divine providence led you to the result you wanted. But if you put it in something else, I mean, I'll give you a personal, a personal example. Is, uh, I'm in real estate, and you know, at times I've gotten into this mode that if I could just get this investor on board with this deal, we're gonna close the deal. And just, I need him to write the check. And, you know, and it, it, it happens to everybody, but in my life it's like, okay, so I know it's Hashem, but listen, Hashem gave me this guy, and like, is, did he call me back yet? Is he gonna call me back soon? And this guy suddenly becomes, while he's supposed to just be a conduit, he becomes the whole, the whole thing. And it's not that I'm not aware of it, but I kind of lose sight because I live in a physical world. The guy's supposed to send you know, a wire for X, and we, we have this conversation, right? But you can get, it's, a, it's a fine-tuned point because you can get lost in there, you know, holding on to, 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 to the line that, hey, he's a part of the grand story, he's not the story. And it's not always easy to remember that. So it's not that in those scenarios, God said, okay, Getsy, screw off, you're on your own. It's that maybe I woke up in the morning, he's like, oh, please, Chaim Yankel, send me the wire. Oh, he sent me the wire, Chaim Yankel, you're the man. And it becomes about Chaim Yankel when really it's God. You know, I got to make my phone call. I got to send the guy the email, do what I got to do. But not necessarily is the guy the begin all and end all. So I mean, in my life, that's how I experienced that concept, which was when I just got stuck in, in, in a story and the person became the story or the, the thing, and if only, it's like winning the lottery, you made a comment on, on, on some posterity, I mean, I'm sure no one here plays the lottery except me, you, and everybody else around here, but you know, the 1.4 billion dollars that, I, I didn't check my ticket, I still didn't lose. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you think about it for a it second. Night. I shouldn't check, no one won. It, no, no one won. Yeah, no one won yet, is it tonight? Oh God, we gotta leave, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> After After we everyone won the public, we gotta go to Publix. While I was in my full, <laughs> But, but, but here's the thing, is that if you think that you can only become, be worth $1.4 billion if you win the lottery tonight, then you don't have a tachin, you have a tachin in the lottery. So your whole thing becomes a lottery. If you want to be worth $1.5 billion tonight, and it so happens to be that there's a lottery ticket that could win $1.5 billion, then buy a lottery ticket. But I think most of us, I certainly do, so I'm like, you know, if I, this is it. If I win this ticket, my life is going to change exponentially. 
You know, but the Rebbe also said you got to you know, go buy one ticket. You got to buy the ticket to be in the game. You can't go to heaven and say, God, you never gave me the lottery. How come you didn't give me the lottery? God says, why did you ever buy a ticket? You got to be a part of it. You got to do your shtadlis. But if you think the only way to win 1.5 billion is if you win 1.5 billion, then you're kind of missing the point. Now, I'm not saying that I know where else to get 1.5 billion from, but if I really, 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 really had betachin that I'm going to have 1.5 billion, Hashem says, I'll give it to me. But isn't it kind of that, like, then you're, you're on, on that, you're like a servant, a slave to the statistics of the lottery, as opposed to if you really believe Hashem was going to give you the 1.4 million, you're almost tapping into then, Hashem is, Hashem is the one who's giving you those brachas. And then the statistics don't matter as much. So I'm trying to really understand. And, like, why, and why is it always rednecks and trailer parks that have the most production? <laughs> 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 we actually thought, wait, Yos, 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 simple peasants. Yos was in Tennessee for something. We need a replica. So and he's driving to Kentucky and says, why is it taking along the way? Because that's where the winning thing yeah, comes you know from. My, my business partner is, uh, is, on, is into this theory. And, and listen, may, may, may I be proven wrong this lottery? Every time we travel to Timbuktu, we, we buy tickets. We got to buy tickets right there because this is the most, you know, that's where the winners come from. It's a good question on the uh, rednecks. I don't have the answer. And on, on statistics, I mean, we're, uh, I'm not following the... I'm trying to say, it's like, is he removing, he's, Hashem's removing and says, you know, God removes his divine providence from him and leaves him in the hands of the entity in which he places trust. So if you're trusting that that money's going to come through the lottery, let's say, as opposed to that Hashem is going to use that as the Kaylee, then now you're playing, it's like, now, now you're a slave to the statistics of the lottery. Now you're, you're a slave to the lottery. Now you're just whereas, gonna... whereas if you're like, if you're forgive working me, on your five If I can that so beautifully, if same guy that bought the 1.4, right, now you get to that me, also bought the 999 and accepted those formulas. So you're the same believer in that success story where it's 99 or 1.4. He didn't bother you that you're a trillion of percent in there. Right. It was for the win, not the money. That's 500 and a billion. I, I, I think that ultimately we, we, when we buy a billion dollar lottery tickets because we, we, we can't physically imagine how else we're going to make a billion dollars for most of us who are working. Of course, there's a high. It's, it's, it's like any other gambling you know, that, 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 you, that you do, but... I think that ultimately, if we have to all be honest with ourselves, how many of you actually think you're going to make a billion dollars this week like that? It's a very high level of betachen. It's, a, it's, just, it's so hard to process that number. I mean, I don't want to get stuck in the lottery because I happen to be winning the lottery this week. So sorry, guys. Don't waste your money. But I'm using a, a simple example. But, but in, in business, I've experienced it many times where I just got lost in, in this deal and this person and this thing being the end, begin all and end all. I have to win this deal. And then I win the deal and it ends up being a disaster. Or that deal that I didn't even think about is the one that ends up being, you know, where it comes from. So, and then Bonnie, there's more notes about, uh, like I said, divine providence and you get to see it, the inner and the outer. So on page six, for those who were here last week, we'll continue reading. I'm not going to try to out-translate the translation. So I'm just going to read it in English. I'm going to highlight some of the, the, the notes on the bottom, but this is obviously something that's not just done in a group setting. It's something you've got to work on on your own. So top of page six. And the person who places his betachen in something other than God will be like one regarding to whom it says in Yirmiyahu, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the springs of living water, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. And the idea here is that basically they're, they're, they're trusting their ability to, to, to get water with things that can't even carry the water to begin with. 
and the, you know, it's quoted on the bottom um, from, your, from, from Tanakh, but the idea is, is that you're putting your, uh, your trust in something automatically that's not Hashem, and that ultimately not only is it not going to work out, but it can't even hold, it, hold what you need anyways. And as the Pasuk says in Tillim, they exchange their glory for the likeness of a grass-eating ox, and this is a, talking about the golden calf. That the Jews were, in, were sitting with all of the blessings that they could possibly have wanted and seeing all the, the miracles and they're busy turning over to, uh, to, a, a, golden, uh, to a golden calf. Top of page 7, as the Pasuk says in Yermio, Baruch HaGever Asher Yiftach Ba'ashem Hashem We end every benching on this. Blessed is the man who relies on Hashem and that Hashem will be his support. The Pasuk assures us that if we have trust in Hashem, we will be protected by Him. But it also implies that if we lack trust, we will not be protected. And it says in Tehillim, Fortunate is the man who made Hashem his support and did not turn to the haughty and those who turned to falsehood. And in another Pasuk, as it says in Yermio, Cursed is the man who relies on man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart turns away from Hashem. So I think that we all uh, can, you know, it's just we all understand these examples, but basically, it's you gotta put your trust in where it counts. And unfortunately, what's going on in Israel now, you can also say you see how ultimately you can have all the greatest of plans and borders and armaments and God knows what. Unfortunately, if it's not meant to be, they're gonna blow right through it. On the bottom, misguided trust. If a person relies on his wisdom, his schemes, and his physical strength and his own efforts, those efforts will be for naught, for he will become weak and lose that physical strength, and his schemes and wisdom will fall short of accomplishing his goals. As it says in Eov, he traps clever people in their shrewdness. So, it's a couple of things. Last time we spoke about the example of washing dishes, that when you're at the workplace, you're supposed to get to a point of like when you're washing dishes, you're using your hands to clean the pots, but you're not using your mind. You're usually thinking about something different. And that it says that when it comes to working, you should be there. And at the bottom he quotes from the Alter Rebbe that it says um, that the toil is, is of your head. Sorry, it says that the, the, in the it's, he quotes a Pasuk and Tillin that says the toil of your hands. And the Alter Rebbe says, why is it your hands and not your head? Because your head doesn't belong to you. Your head should be focusing on tire and other things. It's, work should just be about doing the actual work and not getting too lost in the topic. Um, and then an example that I'm going to, you know, that, that speaks to me is when you try to think about your schemes, I mean, how many times in business have you gone after a deal that you thought you totally had a genius plan, or at least I, I did, that this was like the best move ever, I'm going to call this guy, I'm going to show him that, I'm going to sell it to that guy, and you think you're such a smart ass, and then ultimately what happens is you fall so far, far on your behind because you, you, you got caught up in your own BS, basically. Because you just, you thought that you had it all figured out, when really, you don't have it all figured out. And you just have to be a little bit more, you know, uh, humble to know where it comes from. And the classic example is Yosef. Yosef's brothers, they wanted to get rid of him. So they sold him to Egypt. What a great way to get rid of him. What happened? He ended up saving their lives and becoming second to the king and the most powerful, you know, second to the most powerful human being on planet Earth. So here they had this great scheme, this great concept. They're going to put him in a pit, and then they're going to sell him and save their life and get rid of the guy. Not only did they not get rid of him, but Yosef, of course, ends up saving them as well. So clearly, getting lost in our own grandiose schemes doesn't always give you the results that you think you're going to accomplish. Well, just to dissect, to parse that, you still need to make the plan. You still need to 
I gotta call this guy to do this because I think that's where the way the deal's gonna happen. But what? Now stop and say, if he wants it to happen, not, but I believe this is the way to make it happen. You ever do, you ever, like, you're, you're a shliach, right? So, you ever finish something, uh, you accomplish a, a major feat in the organization, right? When you, know, you needed to raise a tremendous amount of money to open your new building. And you had that moment, right? That grand opening, and after years of hard work and, and devotion and, and, and sweat, blood, and tears, when that door opened, there was two feelings that you were going to have at that moment. Maybe a mixture of both, but probably one or the other, if you're going to be perfectly honest. One would be, wow, I really put this together. I mean, it was crazy. I, I, I made that phone call. I did this. I worked. I sweat. And Baruch Hashem, it's here. But there's a, an element of that that's, that's all you. Whereas there's an, another approach, which is, wow, Hashem really brought this together. It's like crazy how I made that phone call and that worked. God just delivered it to me. And I think that's what it's trying to say. It's not that you don't make and pretend like you're not a part of the process, but as human beings, when we accomplish something, it's hard not to say, hey, I did that. Because it looks like you did that, right? But in reality, you did your part, but the Eberster is the one that delivered the successes to you. So I think that's what it's trying to... And to take that, to take that example, I actually think sometimes when you're not giving that credit, he reminds you. All of a sudden, you got to pay app or you got to make and Butters is calling and you simply don't have the money to say, I can't do it. And then, and then the miracle comes. So, you know, there, there are... And there. everyone's own and personal life that happens. And that's when you forfeit. That's, that's, really that's what what? That's, that's when you really admit when you really say something. I mean, it says that, that I've, I've seen it said, you know, I think it's the base, maybe the base of Levi says it or the, uh, the altar of Nuradak, or I forgot his exact name, but he says that Hashem tests you with these things. He gives you the problems when he feels like you need to be reminded of where it all came from to begin with. Again, I'm, I'm not, uh, not in the Nevoah business. Yeah. Yeah. Forgive me, I wasn't here before. You get a seltzer. I forgive you. What's up? If you said it or not, like, but where does one draw the line in his activity and in his, um, when is it, I need to do effort, and when is it the like, in your day-to-day life? I need to work hard to build this building, so I'm doing this, or I'm going to do this. Should I do this? Where do you draw a line? This is effort, and then, I have to work harder. What's, how do you define success of, like, where is that, is there a barometer? Feeling it's a, it's an emotion, I feel depressed, but for Emunah, but dude, I, I, I feel like there's a lot. Like, okay, at some point, like, what does it mean if you can't fill the village? So, so, so we brought it up. Sense, so, question. yeah, yeah. Right. it's the whole book. We brought it up last time, and it's the classic question, is how That's much... That's why I said, forgive me. Said, no, but, no, but, but, but the answer wasn't given, because the, the answer is going to be given in the next 400 pages. It, it, that is the whole question is okay so you put us in this earth Hashem is going to bless you in all that you do it says and I think it's Dvarim I believe if not what? yeah Parshish Dvarim no I'm safe at Dvarim so you got to do and that's where the brach is going to come through so how much are you supposed to do so there's many letters about it and we quoted some of the things that the Rabbim said I think it was at Semach Sedek I quoted who said that uh, it's like a suit of clothing you know, you can't wear a suit that's too big because then you're going to trip over your own feet and you can't wear a suit that's too tight because then you won't be able to walk out your house. You have to find the right mix. And then the Rebbe talks about, you know, um, 
doing everything one has to do in their daily schedule. They got to learn, they got to go to shul, they got to help their wife, they got to learn a little more, they got to go to Minchamarv. You know, between all of that, make sure to have a job. But that is the real question is, is how much are you supposed to do without getting in the way and not letting it over, you know, over, over, overplay? There were stories, and we talked about it also, of some individuals that had so much betachin that they did not need a job, that they went beyond the, the, the call of duty, but that's far in between. I, I think it's like welfare. how much you have to work out until you're strong. The more you work out, the stronger you get. The promise of betachin is tremendous. It's like God is saying, I'll take care of you. So the more you have, the more it takes care of you. And if you don't have any, you're a good guy still. You're just not going to get the promises. What about the laws of nature? No, no. What I'm saying is, let's say you take an example of closing with the building, right? So when do you say, okay, surrender, I wasn't supposed to get the building, and let me accept the bitach, that that's the space? When you say, okay, let me just drive to, let me try to block the deal. When is that? Maybe I can do more. No, but you're forcing your will that I'm just asking, is so, there a barometer? Like, how do you judge? So if, the, if, the, so if there was a perfect barometer, we would all have been taught this years ago, and we would be, you know, working on it. I think it's, 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 it's a frame of mind. I think it's, it's, it's that point where you think that what you're doing is going to be the reason for why it succeeds. I mean, that's basically the line. It's like that guy that, you know, I have a lawyer, uh, a lawyer of mine that I learned with also Shari B'tachin, and he asked like a question. So I have a client that I have a responsibility to this client, and there's a, an urgent matter that needs to be addressed. So if I work till 2.30 in the morning, which admittedly I'm billing till 2.30 in the morning, and I'm paraphrasing the conversation, is, is that a lack of B'tachin because I'm working so much, I'm missing out on my family, I couldn't go to my shear, I couldn't go do it, I couldn't do this, that, or the other, or am I being responsible to my client because he relies on me f- to take care of the challenge, and if I don't, if I tell him I gotta go learn my, my dafyami now, he's gonna be left you know, holding the bag tomorrow morning when he needed my help. Okay, so then Brofman's gonna argue, okay, when does he decide to trust Ben Brofman's skill, I don't have to do more research. Ben Brofman's not my attorney, but my, my, my point is, what? I want to show you two examples. There's active pitachon and there's passive. Okay? There are times you have to be a nakshon, you have to be the dog. I'm going to give you an example. Your father, when we were going through the permanent when the, you know, Nathan first passed away, right? We had all types of problems with the fucking city of Park. They gave us everything under the, you know, excuse. So Robert Biston one day went in front of him. He was so frustrated. He was like, everything we did, we complied. You know what he said to that guy? He goes, Hashem puts you on this earth to make me have a show. You have to schus. And he said that to Ogoyim. You have to schus. You want to do the right thing? You have an opportunity of a lifetime right now. And I'm telling you. So no, you want to He said that. That's active pitachon. This passive, obviously, when it calls it a deal, you know what? Sometimes we think we're the ones doing it. But then it's active when you have a gun to your head and you still say Shema, like Rabbi Akiva. Different occasions. Don't expect to be always full throttle because you know what? You're going to burn out. But at the same time, we always know we have to tap into our deepest, the pintle of yit. It's right effort there, brother. I'll never forget. That's it. That's how I, I, I roll my pintle.
Okay, I walk in the valley of death. Am I going to be like this? I don't care. A thousand schwarz has come to me. I'm going to finish two of them. Maybe I'll, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, right? That's it. And you run like hell. <laughs> yeah. But what your father said, I will never forget that day. And he sure enough, he, he showed me the signature. I was like, this, this guy was dragging us out for months. And Rocket Business said, you are on this earth for one purpose only. Okay? So to help a Jew build a synagogue in the city of Pop. To your point, you can't, you can't, you, you, not every person can use that line in this kind of But I've seen them about all nights. No, but unless, you, unless the person who's delivering that message is really like feeling that, you can't just drop it. Okay, that. great point. Who wrote the whole basis? Shall we go? David Melech. Who has gotten under more travails and tri trials and tribulations than David Melech? Unless you put to the ultimate test, you got, you, someone got the feet on your neck, you're not going to have active pitakons, right? But when the terrorist is right there at the door and you like, that's when you practice it. We all have it. I'm telling you this. I don't know how, but we all have it. Hashem will never get tested like the way we've been tested the past you know, few days, but it's there, I'm telling you. But the thing is, we have to moderate, like you were saying about exercise, right? You know the weight assistant machine? The more we talk on you use, you don't have to use the weight anymore. You can do pull-ups now. That's the way, that's the how I, I equate it. Yeah, it's you know, awesome. the more we talk on you at home, I don't need to. It's all Hashem, okay? But in the beginning, I need some assist. I need to have some weight, you know? I can't do it by myself. That's, that's the way. It's, it's very simplistic for me, you know? What do I know? Just a job head. <laughs> but, but to come to come to back to the your day, you know, a Tuesday morning when you're dealing with business or just trying to figure out when's too much. I, it, it's subjective, but it's also trying to figure out where, where you're crossing that point to think that you're actually affecting what you're going to do. Like, if you, oh, if I stay late tonight, you know, that, I'm, that, now that's how I'm going to make the million dollars thing because I'm I'm going to work so hard tonight. You're supposed to make the million dollars. You can go home at five o'clock too, and you're going to make the million dollars. Doesn't mean that you have to be an active betachin guy not to go to work in the morning to begin with. Like the guy we talked about last week who sold his his horse and his and his, his his wagon, and he ended up becoming a wealthy man because he absolutely believed without any doubt of, of you know that he was going to be a wealthy man by doing nothing, and he, and that's how it, it worked out for him. So it's a constant struggle. And that's what the whole safer is about: is trying to figure out where. You know where one stops and the other begins, but at the end of the day, when you think and you start to put your trust in your own self or in something else other than Hashem, and really believe that you make a difference and you're not just doing what you need to do because you got to do something, that's usually when you're crossing the line over the top. So the answer to that lawyer as an example was, is that he had to find the middle ground. If he thought the only way he can serve his 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 his, his client and win is if he worked till four in the morning. Then that's when he already was pushing his way through. But if the hours were that it needed to be, he needed X amount of hours a night in order to accomplish it, he just, that was just not enough hours in a day, and he still went to Daf Yomi and still did all the other things, then he's playing within the realms of Betachen. Is that he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he's not sacrificing all the other things that he. And that was his own personal process. But I think to each, it's his own, there's, there's no formula. There right, is no form. What I'm saying is, let's say you're saying, I believe my oral skill of debate. So that's what, that's really, that's my betoch and how I'm getting my client out. I believe or I'm using it. If I believe in it, then that's a problem. If it's what I'm using, then I'm using it. No, it's no. I'm saying if, 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 if Johnny Cochran, it's no, it's a Yeah, but, but, but that's... The guy in that case. 
where Johnny Cochran, he says, I could sell it to you. If, if the football player thinks he's a, that he's a, a genius because – sorry, that he's the best because he's the best, then he has no betachem. If a football player is playing football because God gave him the ability to do so and that's his vocation, but he's a simple, you know, just using what he has – I mean, I'm not a football fan. How do you explain the disparity in results, right? You look at some of the most successful Jewish people in Silicon Valley, right, who are extremely successful, very atheistic, very humanistic Jews, mostly good people. And then you have the extremely devoutly religious. And there's a disparity in outcomes. It's not like their outcomes are any better. If anything, their outcomes are worse. Not in a bad way, just because they sacrifice other things and other values and family and religion over business. So how do you explain disparity in outcomes? So you're talking about disparity as, as it relates to why do bad things happen to good people? Like this guy's working well, so hard. and it's necessarily a bad thing. You're saying that he's broke or, you, or are you saying why does the guy who has no connection to any of this do so well? Both. Well, so first of all, God's going to give what he wants to give to every individual he, and he decreased so between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And these are the least religious people you can imagine. General. Irrelevant. First of all, irrelevant. They just you know, work with the laws of nature. Yeah, and the right. laws of nature allow them but, but, to be successful. But Ellie, that's what they're subject to. So why do they think we're not subject to the laws of nature? It's not the laws of nature. It's not the laws of nature. You guys are talking about the lotteries and all that stuff. I don't know. Wait a second. Their financial success does not mean that was a blessing at the cost of what? Maybe it was a punishment. But wait, look at the rest of the step back. The concept of betachem. So let's revise. Don't punish No, wait one second. You're switching topics. Because betachem does, the concept of betachem is that if you trust it for real, wholeheartedly, you will get it. If you trust... They trust in their startup. They trust in Uber. They trust in their business. But that's not a contradiction. The concept of betachem is talking about if you can step out of the norm and place your absolute trust in God, you will succeed in obtaining that which you placed your trust in Him for. This is not a question of what about if I don't believe and I still made a billion dollars? That's another conversation. That, that, that's not that topic. And, and he, by the way, he does talk about that here, about why certain people make money that they, they, they seem to be actually the opposite of anything good. He talks about evil people making money. Like, how come they succeed? So he, he talks about it in the safer, but, but the concept here is just take, yeah, but just take a step back. The concept here is he's saying place your trust in God, and if you do, you're going to succeed in getting what you want. We're not talking about the people that don't. He's talking about the people that want to get there. I'm just saying the evidence seems to overwhelmingly point to the outcomes are based on the laws of nature. And yes, people that are more committed to a cause are more likely to succeed in that cause, whatever that causes. For some people, it's evil causes, like extremist religious people, Hamas, who are committed to a cause, and look how successful they were in the, in the most horrific ways. And for other people, it's a positive cause, and look how successful they are, all the shluchim around them. Um, but the success is the same because of their belief and commitment in the cause. That's what it's. That's what the evidence seems to point to. And any success is happiness. I, I think I you're also right. A, A, that. But B, also, I think I think you're looking at a very, at a very um, a narrow, with a very close range lens. You got, yeah. Today you're seeing success. What's the co- what's the cost of that? And, you know, Sam Walton's last words was, "I blew it." Really? Everyone looked at him. We looked at his incredible success. And his last moment, he says, I blew it. 
So was that really a success for him? I, I, so, I, so it's a journey. But just by the, I just want to go back to that analogy of the football for a second. It's a very interesting idea because someone take Bill Belichick for a second. He really believed, and many of us also believed, that he was the reason that the Patriots were so incredibly successful. It was because of him. And to the extent that he was able to let Tom Brady go at the end of his career when he still had what to win to do with us, it was because of me. And now, I saw the news today, he might get fired mid-season. It wasn't him. He believed in himself. And as a, as a result of that, that's the punishment he talks about. I mean, you, you believe in yourself? I'll oh, show yeah. you that that's Nick, actually your downfall. Nick Saban decided to have him do this year. Saving the hand of the Nick Saban. The counter, this is going to hurt his legacy, his total belief in himself. What's his downfall? It's, it's his legacy. But you can believe in another cause that's Correct. not that's not blood. Elon Musk believes in causes. Not necessarily himself. I don't know how happy he is on that barometer of the happiness scale. But he certainly has accomplished a lot. He believes in ideas. He believes in ideas and he believes in causes. That's what he believes in. It's like logotherapy is not about anything specific. It's just yeah, but Ali, I think you, I think you touch on the macro. If you can have the you can I, bear the high. Ali, I think you touch on the macro. And you can succeed. And I think this book is about the micro. Why I think this is about, I think I, about our I personal, our journey. I, I also think like there are the laws of nature. He's telling you how you could fly. You're saying how is it that people get on a plane and they fly also? They go on a plane and fly, and we're saying we can fly without a plane. That's that's what Betachin is. Like, obviously, laws of nature are and very smart people are going to make a lot of money. Yeah. He's saying we oh, can tap into a power that is above nature. And, 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 and anyone who exercises this muscle... The human spirit up. seems to have that ability to Correct. do that. No matter, what they, no matter what they believe. It's Musk believing in, you know, conquering Mars or whatever, or SpaceX or whatever. He's able to accomplish that. No, no he's saying that. No, he's saying specifically... He's able to accomplish that. No, specifically trusting about God. Because Musk is a very smart man. I'm not questioning God. I think believe trusting God will lead to that. I think trusting anything can lead to For me, it was the Abister's infinite Rahmanas. You did anything good in this physical world, you're going to be rewarded, rewarded in Gashmas. For example, Yishmael, right? Okay, Abraham's other son. How come Hashem rewarded him with the water? Because we didn't judge him right now. Judge him, I mean, Hashem doesn't judge later on, right now. What has he done? He hasn't done any sin. Same thing with these people that are wicked, that are, that are making this word billionaires, like Bill Gates, whatever, you know? At the end of the day, that's their own, whatever, whatever little mitzvah or chesed they've done, Hashem gave you measure for measure work, in this lifetime. That's it. In this 70, 80 years of a temporary world, corporeal world. Whereas, I don't want this world. I want the other one. Do you understand? That's, the, that's how we come to comfort with this. Why does the wicked, like you said, why does the poor get punished and the, the wicked prosper? That's the classical question. Okay? Because Hashem sees infinite. And his Rahmanas is so great that even if you do one stinking little mitzvah in your life, you say, oh, thank you, God. He'll reward you. That's it. Just to be clear, I'm not questioning this. I'm just saying, pick it up. almost kicked you off the But Ellie, the whole, the whole safer, the whole concept of Betachin is specifically that. Trusting in God. If you can get to that point, if you can train yourself to that level, then whatever you're trusting Hashem is going to happen. And I'll quote you uh, here. I wasn't going to quote. But it's quote. not just about net worth. I mean, it's about anything. Yeah, exactly. Here's exactly. what the Rebbe Rashab says. What? What if the ultimate is not worth it? 
Transforming the world. What if the ultimate? That, well, that's the result. That's not the ultimate patafen. No, so, if you have ultimate patafen, there's no way that it won't come. You don't think of it. So according to according to the concept of betachin is that if you have ultimate betachin, and if you do, and if it doesn't work out, it's because you didn't have ultimate betachin. I mean, I'll, I'll quote you the Rebbe Rishab. I'm going to quote you the Rebbe Rishab right here. Here, this is aspiration. Uh, okay, here Rebbe Rishab, the talk uh, Rebbe Rishab, and this is this is what uh, the Rebbe Rias copied it down. You ready? Betachin um, transcends time and place. For a person to have betachin means that he trusts in Hashem that things will assuredly transpire in a certain way. True, his mind does not have room to accommodate that eventuality, nor does he understand how that eventuality can be warranted by his own actions, or even by his tefillah, or even by the reason for which he desires it. All he has is trust in God alone by virtue of his power and ability, meaning God's. Moreover, the matter does not reach a point at which it affects him and worries him. Even though he would not like the alternative eventuality on any account, he's not ruffled by any deep-seated unrest. He considers all along that Hashem will presumably help out. After all, it can't be otherwise. In the same way, if a person is in need of something that should take place in a specific way, and he's able to see to it that it should indeed happen, it certainly does not worry him. Getting another beer, you said? Oh, no. <laughs> After all, things are going to work out exactly as they ought to. One thing is for sure, he would not like the alternative possibility in any account. If, for example, if he owes money and he has the money ready, he's relaxed. And if the alternative scenario, not paying, he does not all want to hear of. The same applies to Betachen, one's trust in God. One has peace of mind even when he has nothing. It does not cause him unrest. And the alternative scenario, he does not even want to think about. He only places his hope in God who will certainly help out. He has no kind of basis, such as a promise from someone. It is his trust alone that pre- prevents his predicament from disturbing his composure. His trust is as sturdy as the trust of the individual who has all his cash ready for payment. And here's the kicker. And to generate such a betachen is a weighty task indeed. This is the whole point. What? I would say two things. Yes, they ought to turn out. Not as you Number one. Necessarily. True. As. So it's, 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 it's not what you is the, does the concept not exist of, okay, that just wasn't meant to be? Right. You want, like last week you said, $25,000 in your bank by the next morning, but you, you thought it would be there, and it's not there because it wasn't. Where's it as it ought to? Things will turn out how, as I they think ought to. We're being a what is as they ought to? As they are so. No. You see, it meant to be taken so literally. I think people look at this like it's a self-help book. This is like, it's a book. It's not. It's a great song. No, this is Navy Seals. This is like, this is like the most seal, seal Team 6. This is Seal Team 6. It's like the most you miss. You miss. No, you guys, that's not at all what he's saying. He uses the example of somebody who has what they need already. He's not worried because things are going to work out the way they're supposed to because he has it already. But this guy doesn't have it. This guy's got nothing. this claim when it doesn't happen? You just say they never had it. You can't, even verify, you can't verify. It's a, a non-falsifiable non- claim. Can't be a science, can't exactly. well, wait one second. It's not true. I can quantify it. How? I think we can... Oh, Whoever so, doesn't happen, just say, oh, they didn't have to be Because there are certain experiences... Sure, whatever. There, How are you no. Move otherwise? Forget, 
Forget trying to forget trying to prove the next Ellie. Forget trying to prove the next guy. Look at your look at your own life. Ellie, you got to look in with your own life. This is about your own experience, and not always is it going to work. But there are times that if you can step out and above and beyond everything else, you'll see it's, it works. It succeeds. Getting there is very difficult. It's very very it's difficult. Physical concept or in, in essence. Way above is it physical? It's very physical. What do you mean? It's every single morning when you wake up in the morning. Right, but if you want to have physical... Again, if your expectations sometimes are... A positive not, attitude can change no, outcomes. No, but not guarantee outcomes. There are no guarantees on the outcomes. So this it can is help the likelihood of an so outcome. So this is saying that... That's a lack of... That's a lack of... Great. That sums it up, no? But that's philosophy, as you would say. That's not facts either, though. It's not... We can't... We can't... Yeah. I mean, the safer is a thousand years old. I mean, this is going. This is we're not learning something novel until last year. Yeah, but, but to your point, we're killing. We're crushing it. We're doing better than last week. Okay, so well, well, let, let's let's listen. It's a long book. <laughs> And I've, you, you got to learn it at least three or four times according to the Rebbe, and not in one sitting. And it doesn't mean over just a few days. Okay, so let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll read a, some, you know, some more psukim. He's, he's continuing this, this concept of proving that uh, you got to you know, keep your betachim focused. So it says, In Kaheles, I further saw under the sun that the race does not belong to the swift, nor the war to the mighty, and the wise, uh, and the wise do not have bread. It says, In Telim, from, uh, from Lama Dalid, young lions suffer want and are hungry, but those who seek Hashem do not lack any good. Page 9, top of page 9. And if he relies on his abundance of wealth, so this guy is a wealthy guy, it will be removed from him and left to someone else. So, top of page 9. We don't have to use many examples for that. If somebody thinks that cash money is all they have, and you know, as long as they're rich and they got money in the savings account, they're good. Unfortunately, I mean... If you've never experienced, I hope you don't, but you know, sometimes you go to bed thinking, oh, I got money, and then you know, the next morning you find out that something happened and it's all gone. Could I, could, could I share just, I mean, first of all, I think for those that are reading, the in-between, these psukim, those little lines, I, I've been very, very helpful for me to put it in context, just to read, read those. It's but but I, I, I heard a, a brilliant, a, a beautiful story one time, just bringing and highlighting this point, and that is that, you know, having discussed how a person relies on his own talents will not be successful, the author now turns to address a person who relies on his wealth. There was one time someone, apparently, I came to the Balshemto, maybe it was Balshemto, someone else, that, and, and said, um, you know, how's everything? And great, any, any issues with business? No, perfect. And um, the Balshemto tells him, you know, he said, I'm doing very well, I'm very successful. He says, yeah, but, but you could lose it in a moment. And then he says, and Yeshua's Hashem Kairafayim, where God can give you everything back in a moment. And he, and, and he like, he laughed inside to himself. He's like, I'm wildly successful. I can't, it would take years for me to lose everything, a lot of bad investments, 
and uh, it took a long time to amass his wealth. Sure enough, and, and he goes home. And as he's going home, he's traveling through a forest, and he gets kidnapped. And they throw him a, a bunch of bandits, and, and, and they're about to kill him. They take his little jewel, they're about to kill him. And he's like, don't kill me. Like, why? He says, I'm a very wealthy man. I said, okay, how does that help us? He says, I'll write everything over to you. I'll give you everything I have. Just let me live. So they talk about it, and like, okay, let's do it. They drop a contract, he signs it, every single thing he owns, and they spare his life. They say, you could go. And he walks out of this hut in their hut, in, in the middle of the forest, their hut, their, their headquarters, and he's like, oh my God, the Washington was right. I just lost everything <laughs> in a moment. A signature, it's all gone, I have nothing. And as that happens, he's walking away, thunder starts, a lightning. Lightning hits this hut, it goes on fire, and they all die. And the paper gets burnt. He's like, you show us some guy of lion. I just got it all back, the paper burnt. <laughs> and I remember that story, it's like, yeah, you could lose it all in a moment, they could bring it all, it, it's all in his hands. I never heard that story. You never heard that? No. Yes, so. It's a little too uh, horse. It probably wasn't about Shepard's story. I don't know where I heard it. I just thought that was just really that. That's how Shepard. In a moment, you have it. The problem with the Shepard stories. You don't ask questions. You don't ask questions. If you're going to make it up, you're going to hear the Shepard stories. That story of the Shepard. So we'll take the feedback. We'll read it. Nature can do that too. That was all natural. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, it was coincidental. It was a horrible coincidence. So the author now quotes verses that illustrate the transition, transitory nature of wealth. As it says in Eve, a rich man lies down with his wealth intact. He opens his eyes and it's no longer his. Similarly, the Pasuk says in Mishlei, do not toil to become wealthy from your own, understa- from your own understanding desist. And the next Pasuk, before you can set your eyes on it, it's gone. Similarly, it says in Yermio, at a young age, his, el- his wealth will leave him. And at his end, he will be a disgrace. Alternatively, even if the riches themselves are not removed from him, his ability to enjoy the wealth will be withheld from him by God. As the wise man, Shleim HaMelech, said, God gives him no power to eat of it. I think we have all heard stories or know people that have plenty of wealth, and unfortunately... Do I have zero means to appreciate it or understand it or have anything to do with it? Top of ten. If God doesn't want him to derive any enjoyment from his riches, why then does God leave it in his possessions? So it will be with him as a deposit so that he will guard it from harm until the time that it will be returned to the one who is deserving of it and for whom it was meant. This concept that sometimes a person is given wealth solely for the purpose of safeguarding it for another is supported by another two psukim. And to the sinner, God gives the urge to gather and amass wealth to give it to the one who's good before Hashem. And as it says in Eve, the wicked man will prepare it, the righteous man will use it, and the innocent will divide the money amongst themselves. The Pasuk speaks about the wicked merely preparing for the righteous, implying that the wicked person does not derive any benefit from his wealth. We discuss two possibilities of what might happen to a person who relies solely on his money. One, he can lose it. Two, even if he retains it, he will not be able to enjoy it. Now the author goes further and says that sometimes not only is he not able to enjoy the wealth, but the wealth itself causes bad things to happen to him. It is possible that his money will be the cause of his misfortune, as well as the cause of the destruction of his soul. Sometimes money can be the source of a person's physical and spiritual downfall. As it says in Kahelis, there is a sickening evil that I have seen under the sun, riches, riches hoarded by their owner for his own misfortune. 
So until now, the author elaborated the first spiritual advantage of betachin, namely that it causes a person to feel at ease. A person who relies on people, on other people, or his own talents or wealth will always worry that his success will not last. Now the author moves on to list another advantage, Torah advantage of betachin. So this is uh, this is a great section that talks about basically how you can just be genuine and be yourself and not have to uh, be a lecher, as they say. You just you know not have to put yourself in situations you don't want to be in. So among the Torah benefits of betachin is that trust in God will bring a man not to serve any other entity. So for me, it translates to not needing to sell yourself to anybody. You won't need to place hope in a man or expect anything from other people. As a result, he will avoid many behaviors that distract him from divine service. He won't need to be subservient to them in order to win their favor. He won't feel the need to flatter them, laugh at their dumb jokes. He will therefore not consent to spend time with them on matters that are not related to the service of God or personal experience, not to bend to their ideals. You know, if you're in business, a lot of times you're, you, know, you think if you don't engage with somebody at their level, you know, they're not going to want to do a deal with you. They're not going to want to hang out with you. you they want to do this, okay, I'll get the, uh, the salad or I'm going to move the plate away. You know, you kind of bend a little bit on what you would do because, you know, it's in the name of the business deal. Again, speaking from my own personal experiences. He will not be afraid of other wicked behavior, the repercussions of not flattering them, and he will not be fearful in the arguments, of their arguments with him because ultimately they're not in control and you don't have to worry about what they perceive, you know, how they perceive you, and whether or not you're cool or not cool, or with it or not with it, or you're gonna, you know, do it, what they want you to do. As a result, he won't feel pressure to join them in, a, in their inappropriate behavior. Rather, he will divest himself from their favors and from the bother of being gracious to them, as well as from the obligation to pay them back for any good they do to him. If he needs to rebuke them, he will not need to be careful of offending their honor. And if he needs to shame them while rebuking them, he will not be embarrassed and he will not praise their false ways. In essence, you can have real relationships with people wow. because you're not busy trying to figure out what they're thinking of you. Whether I mean, for me, I always go to business with these things, but it's really with, it's really with everything. And when you show up in business like this and you actually honor the things that you believe in, they love you more. You more. Yeah. Much more. But it's hard to feel to realize that because you're worried about. I mean, I've been worried. What are they getting? You know, if I, they're not going to want to hang out. They're not going to want to. You know, they're going to think that I'm not the right guy for the for the opportunity. Yeah, shaking hand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's many different. <laughs> so, in the middle of twelve, the, the notes. A man who relies solely on other people for his livelihood and success must ensure he remains in good terms with them, so they will continue to take care of him. This can lead him away from his divine service in a number of ways. He might feel a need to flatter them or even join them in their inappropriate behavior, which he would never have done were he not dependent on, on them. In co- contrast, a person who has betachem will ne- not hesitate to rebuke them, even if it requires causing offense. Additionally, if rebuking them requires that he shame them, he will not be embarrassed to do so, since he does not rely on them for his needs. And the following are psukim that support the above, when someone who trusts in God can rebuke others without shame, a fear of rep- or fear of repercussions and will be able to stand up to the wicked. As it says in uh, Ishayo, but, for, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I was not embarrassed, therefore I made my face like flint and I knew that I would not be ashamed. And as it says in Yecheskel, fear them not and do not fear their words. And at the end of the same Pasuk it says, fear not their words and not be dismayed by them. And it says in Yermio, do not fear them. And later in the same, same parak it says, do not be dismayed by them. And it says in Yechezkel, Shamir, stronger than flint, I have set your forehead, do not fear them, and do not be intimidated by them. 
And this leads to a whole new section, which we probably should start at next week's uh, get-together. You could still be a grub You could always be, but you have to be, naturally be a grub by yourself. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it for yeah, other people. Yeah, it's got to be an ever stick of grubness. Uh, but so it, Not because of peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, in, not in this section, the previous section, it made it sound like something that we all know. There is a plan. There is some. There are things that are predetermined, and we don't know what is right for us, what is not right for us. What we might be praying for might. Uh, I mean, some some people touched on it. Might not. We think it's a blessing. It might not be a blessing. God has our best interests, and what we might be dominating for might not. We might be dominating for something that we perceive as a big bracha, but at what, at what cost? Maybe getting that big bracha would come at the cost of a lot of other not such big brachas. When you, when somebody is, you know, with the right, with the right intentions, he really, really, really wants something that is just not good for him. He doesn't know it that's does the Tuchan not start to contradict a little bit what the plan was? So I, I can only answer that question with what I've learned other yeah, said they give. Do you understand my question? Absolutely. It's a loaded question. It's a, it, 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 yeah. it's, 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 I'm going to process that question right it's now. Old, no, it's, it's, a, it's an ultimate question. Yeah. 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 Look, at the end of the day, as, as Jews, you know, Trust in the interest there. We, uh, there's, a, there's an element of throwing up your hands and saying, you know, we're doing our best to protect our, protect, you know, put food on our table, protect our families, keep us healthy and keep us safe and all that. And that start like that faith or that that belief in the interest there starts to kind of toy a little bit with uh, with the concept that you can. Believe your way into something. Control, control the outcome. So, it's 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 a very powerful question, and it's also specifically in the face of that question, the answer is constantly the same thing: is that if you have bitachin and it's not supposed to be that way, and you don't deserve it, even to the, to that effect, that maybe it's a great thing for you, but you're such a piece of crud, you should not you, but someone shouldn't have it. But if you can really Get to that level, Hashem is gonna still give it to you. But that's not entirely what I'm asking. Is it like the Nissan? I'm asking you to change the outcome. Absolutely change it. You can absolutely change the outcome through that. That's 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 coming from here and believing your way up. This is not belief. This is trust. This is higher than belief. Trusting your way up. But what if that thing is not good for you? It's not right for you. So the Rebbe talks about it. There is Roshanian that talk about it. This goes back. There, they all we, say the same thing. All of us at certain points are like, well, how the hell did that happen to me? And at some point down the line, we're like, you know what? We're better off. That's a Muna. The Tuchin is... But that's a Muna. The Muna says that it didn't work out, but I know it's for the best. The Tuchin says that I want X... I zero reason to believe or know or see how that's happening. I want it. I, I want it. I really want it. I believe it's going to happen. They intersect. Those two concepts. Concepts. Is that your question? Will Hashem give me that which is bad for me? Yes. Because I have that true bitachon. Exactly. Even though no, it's really not good for me. And I don't want it because it's bad for me. I think it's good for me. 
The way I've understood everything I've ever learned is that he still gives will. From what I again, from what I understand, what I've learned, he will still. Yeah, I mean, really, we're talking about God. If he can do that, he can probably change the plans too. As I understand it, and from and, and we'll learn it together. But isn't it common sometimes when it doesn't go well, and you find out, like you could find out later? Like I had one thing. That's a movie. No, no, no. But, but I disagree with you. I think mean, you sometimes have to. You put all your scholars into it. Like I trust you should work out. You get the deal. I had this really disagree. And then all of a sudden, Monday night trading, and you get the deal. It was the process, the order, and the money and stuff that's transferred. And then what? But that's not the tough. But it is. So you're trusting this was not meant okay, to be. Okay, no, fine. You're trusting, but it didn't go to where it was supposed to go. Absolutely. So you have a Muna. So now you say, okay, Hashem's got me. It's going to be for the best anyways. Because Betachin says that I trust ironclad this is going to happen. Or I trust what happens. Guys, I, 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 I can re-quote the, the source I quoted last week. This is how I prefaced the whole, the whole thing. The Muna is, so the Ramban's example is a tree and a fruit. Is Amuna, which is what most people have, is that you have faith that there's a God who exists, who has a divine plan, there's divine providence, everything happens for a reason, and it's all for the best. M- most people we engage with, most company included, that's where we stand. We believe in divine providence, we believe that everything has a reason, it's not always the way I want it to be, not always that I'm going to see it, but I know it's for my best. That's Amuna. The token is no, is I absolutely trust that what I want is going to happen, and that it was just going to do it for me. Based on zero, anything other than the fact that he's God, he's infinite, and I know he's infinite, and therefore he's above all of this, any calculation. He's the man, he's my guy, it's yes. happening. He loves me more than I love myself. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, I got it. Which they, everyone also says is one of the biggest challenges about being a Jew. Right. It's, 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 it's what you'll spend your entire life doing. He said, that's, he's my guy, he's got my back, and all that. At what point does he say, I, I see your betachem, I, I hear you, trust me, you don't want this. So we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. How many times did he dive into God of Isaac? 515. Hashem said, one more time. That's it, stop. We learned it from the greatest of all. Moshe Rabbeinu. How can Hashem deny him? He has the purest intentions. And Hashem knows, ultimately, he is amazing, he has to get his flock out. We don't know. But the Rebbe, the Rebbe also said that Moshe's Pitaka wasn't good. The Rebbe calls him out. Gives you whatever. Ultimately, because he sees like the What you want right now, but he does talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's lack of perfect Pitaka. Again, I'm not. Zevi, Zevi, it's a great question, and we'll delve it. None of this stuff is is. Literal. Zero. It's literal. It's all yeah, literal. It's the opposite. <laughs> but it's, a li- it's a life effort. One thing is for sure. If you have emuna, it doesn't mean you have betachin. And most of us grew up in a world of emuna with no betachin. That is pretty much the baseline Orthodox Judaism, is Amunah. We believe in God. We believe in the divine problem. We believe there's a reason. Everything happens for a reason. What's going on in Israel now? We don't see the reason. It happened for a reason. That's where we exist. That's where we, most of us live in that space. So you could be working uh, for, for years on your Betachem. Absolutely. Absolutely. you feeling let down, but you didn't have enough Betachem. So you're living in the same way. Well, no, because, because it's not working. 
it's the opposite because it's actually a genius yeah, move. You're so busy working on betachin that what happens to your amuna? Your amuna is stronger than ever. Because you're, if you can wake up tomorrow morning, if, but wait one second. If seventy-five percent of you tomorrow morning is in a good spot because you feel like I've got seventy-five percent betachin, this is going to work out for me. It's not a hundred, but you're really, really, and it doesn't because it wasn't at that level. When it doesn't, you're going to be telling yourself much quicker with a much fuller heart. This is it works out for the best. It's going to be great. That's the amount of it. That's not the result of one. But you're going to continue trying the next day again. So while you're working on your betachem, by by definition, your amuna is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Ultimately, both of them hit a point, the penultimate, where you believe that everything is for the best a thousand percent. And now that foundation is so pumped up in your kishkas that you can even get to a point of, of you can't You can have imuna without betachem. You can't have betachem without imuna. Muna can exist by itself. You can't have this tremendous relationship with God without believing you. Because I can believe that everything happens for the best. I can believe in divine providence. But I don't necessarily believe I trust in Hashem. It's going to work out my way. I believe he's there. He's my dad. But he's cut me off. That means you have betachin, which automatically means you have a Muna. But if you have a Muna, not automatically do you have betachin. There are plenty of people that believe. Absolutely. But if you have a moon, it's automatic. Everything else comes with it. Betachin does not come with the moon. Of course, it has to. Amuna does not come with betachin. Betachin comes with the moon. Sorry, the Ramban says, Amuna is a tree, betachin is an apple. If you have an apple, you had a moon. If you have a moon, you get yourself an apple. You're saying if you have a moon, you're not a so I, I may have misspoken. If you have a munah, you have a But if you have a tachet, you definitely have a moon. If you have that fruit, it came from a tree. Yeah, there's a lot of, bunch of trees that don't have any fruit. But most of our world lives in the tree zone. Something happens, and it's like, it's for the best. You know, Hashem knows what's better for me than I know myself. That's That's... That's right there, Amuna. That's that's the ultimate Amuna. Shkacha prophecy. Because Betachin says that. What do you mean? Hashem is leaving. But that's not Betachin. Betachin says it's going to happen. I don't. It's not for the best. Whatever. It's happening. I'm winning a billion dollars. I'm not winning. I'm getting a billion dollars. I see. Back to winning the lottery. I'm putting it in the lottery. You'd have about half, half the people in the psych ward would be billions. <laughs> not, to, not to say that, you know, I'm not. <laughs> 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 He's keeping us here today. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> 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 He's relative. He's Found in my car, all the tickets I bought in the last. Talking is getting to give me these tickets and saying I'm still gonna win without the tickets. <laughs> I'll get them to you because this is Saturday, September 23rd. You bought too many. Monday, October 2nd, the 7th. You don't need to buy one. Never. This is my collection. This is my collection for my car. So it's Pitakon, quick pick, or you have to use your own number? Absolutely, quick pick. Quick pick. Absolutely. I didn't get to that part. I'm sorry, picking my number, that just got involved in this blessing. What do you mean? Hold on, there's a video of the Rebbe. The guy comes to the Rebbe. He says, I won the lottery. Should I continue to play? And the Rebbe says, yes, but just buy one ticket. 
That's because he bought, he won already. He was discouraging. And he won Yeah, he asked for a continued play. Because every time he buys, he got the one already, he buy only one. But you know, I did buy it. By the way, was it, was Lave you enough? Was it the Rashab played the lottery or the Marash? The Lubavitcher, was the Rashab or the Marash that played the lottery? I know, I know the Marash was very wealthy. One of the Rabbeim played the, he used to buy lottery tickets. And he won at one point. Maybe it was, the Marash used to also have, used to play the market. He played once and he won. Okay. Oh, the mer- That's the narrative. <laughs> no, no, so he, he played. There was a thing about playing a lot. They, they so played you're saying, by the way, respect the lottery. He said he respected him about playing the lottery. It only cost a dollar, and you get 20 seconds to dream like you had a billion 20 dollars. seconds? Like, I, I don't know. Meaning minimum. Maybe I still have a chance to win. Maybe. I still had a chance to win Saturdays, but there was no winner. I, I, I didn't know no one until now. I was a winner for like four days already. You never waste 